we are in a current message series, if uh, just to let you know. It's called Joy in the Journey. This is week two. Uh, we are currently going through the book of Philippians. Uh, we will see if we make it through the whole, every section uh, there through. But we're journeying through this book, and our introduction was last week. And we said that following and serving Jesus is truly a journey, is it not? Uh, following Jesus, serving Jesus is a journey. Uh, and that journey takes us through twists and turns. Life takes us through twists and turns, ups and downs. You kind of feel like this, this wheel, right? You're going around at times. You're kind of looking down. And it's kind of scary and you're feeling nervous. But through all these things, through all the victories, through the challenges, uh, it's a joy that God wants to put into our lives. He wants to uh, allow us to experience in our relationship with Him. We want to walk this this, this, our lives of following him and serving him. And God has promised that we will have joy in that journey with him. Because this letter to the Philippians is a letter that's very personal. It's a letter that's full of encouragement. Um, there are lots of well-known verses from the book of Philippians. So this is a, a, a wonderful letter to, to dig in about. But Paul is not afraid to talk about his difficulties in fact, he's writing the book of Philippians from a jail, a Roman jail. Um, he openly talks about his suffering. He openly, uh, but in and all, he is overflowing with joy. And this is one of the things that we see throughout this letter. Uh, the book of Philippians has a number of different themes, and we'll touch on some of those themes. But if there's one theme that kind of connects everything, it's this theme of joy. Is there any doubt that we need more joy in our lives today? <laughs> I think we all would say yes. And as we walk through this letter together, uh, we want to come and see that every turn for Paul, for every turn, Paul is focused on Jesus. Through every difficulty, through every circumstance, you find him talking about being in Christ. You, you find him talking about uh, the, the gospel and what it means to, to uh, uh, understand and to embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for Paul, it's very much connected here. In other words, the secret to joy, to not only our joy, but the secret to everything is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the secret. Being in Christ, knowing Jesus, following Jesus, walking with Jesus, journeying with Jesus, living out the gospel message is what it's all about. And so we said that, you know, all of us are on different journeys in our personal lives, but as people who want to follow Jesus with our whole life, heart and life, we're on this journey of joy. We're finding joy and the journey. Now, joy is going to be seen from a, a number of different angles a number of different situations that we'll be looking at through this book. Uh, but the common denominator, again, in all of them is Jesus and his gospel. And it's uh, Jesus is the reason why Paul had joy in his journey. Jesus is the reason why the Philippians had joy in their lives. And Jesus is the reason why you and me and each one of us can experience joy in our lives. Last week, our opening message was when Paul prayed for the Philippians. 
And we said that yet last week was joy in prayer. That was last week, joy in prayer. Sony mentioned that we have our messages up on the website whenever, when all the tech stuff works, it's up there. <laughs> and when it's not, well, it's not, but it's, that's right, yeah. So that was our Paul prayed with joy. And there were several reasons why Paul prayed with joy. Uh, there were four reasons that we looked at, but I'm not going to go into all that because today we're going to go into part two. And today we'll be talking about joy in suffering for Christ. Joy in suffering for Christ. Aren't you glad he came to church today? They kind of talk about suffering. Talk about suffering. Now, this is a topic that on the surface, listen, on the surface is not very exciting. On the surface. And it's just not about suffering, but it's actually what Paul talks about here is suffering for Christ. Suffering for Christ more, more specifically. And, and here's what we need to know. As we follow Jesus... It will be a part of your journey and my journey. Maybe to a lesser degree in this part of the world, maybe not. Than other parts of the world, but very much it was a part of Paul's journey and Paul's world and the Philippian believers as well. And so as they suffered for Jesus, would you believe that joy filled their lives? I'm like, how did that happen? You know, where, 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 where did that come from? Now, if I were to ask you, does anybody here want to suffer? Can I see your hand? Awesome, you want to suffer? No, no, I don't see. No one is asking to suffer. No one is looking to suffer. No one is hoping or thinking that suffering is a good thing. And I am not here to say this morning, let's all suffer because it's a good thing. Do not misunderstand me. That is not what we're talking about here. In fact, the very opposite, right? We want to run from suffering. <laughs> we want to get away from it. Uh, when you go shopping, uh, if you ever had to buy a chair, if you ever had to buy a sofa or a bed for your house, right? What did you do when you bought that? Let's just try it out. Probably you're thinking now, these chairs, are they, how are these chairs? You know, maybe they're good for about an hour, two hours. Or the bed you lay down. Um, does anybody go into a place to buy a sofa and say, excuse me, um, uh, where is your most uncomfortable chair? Where is the worst bed you have? Because that's the one I want to take home. Does anybody do that? No, this, oh, this is so comfortable. This is, Sony and I talk all the time. We got, it, we got a good sofa. When we first came to Finland six years ago, we got it from Ikea, from Ikea. You know, and, and there's good things and there's bad things. We got a good one, all right? It was, and we still sit down in our, in our um, sofa there. And like, this, is, this is comfortable. This is good. Uh, we do that with other things, whether it's the shoes you put on, you try them out, you feel this feels good, right? If it's not, you change it. If it hurts, you know, it hurts my foot. This time, you get rid of it. We do it. We all want to have um, the place that we work. We want it to be a comfortable place. We want it to be a welcoming. We want there to be a good atmosphere, not a oppressive or one that you hate to go to. Or uh, We want our homes to be comfortable and so forth. We want things to enhance our comfort, not take it away. Right? We want it to be pleasant, enjoyable, a place where we do not experience 
pain. So no one is looking or hoping for suffering. But the reality is that suffering is a part of our world, right? The reality is that suffering is very much a part of our world. There's a lot of internal suffering. Maybe you have a good sofa. Maybe you have a good bed. There's a lot of internal suffering that goes on as well. So today, we can't deal with the full topic of suffering. There's more about suffering than I can share in a half hour. But that's what Philippians chapter 1 talks about. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about. is suffering, and specifically suffering for Christ. This is what Paul, Paul the, the reason why Paul is suffering isn't because he's committed a crime. The reason why Paul is in prison isn't because he made some terrible life decision, bad decision, or suffering the consequences. The only reason why Paul is suffering is he's suffering for Jesus Christ. That's the only reason why he's suffering. Because he chose to say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to speak about you. I'm going to share the good news of you with others. The only reason why Paul is suffering is because he's living for Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And if you choose to live for Jesus, if you choose to live for the sake of the gospel, suffering, in lesser or greater degree, is going to be a part of our lives. But the good news is there's joy. There's joy. Now, we could argue, and I would agree with this, that we should do all that we can to end suffering. Uh, when we think about the war in Ukraine, we think about the families, the children, the elderly, the homes that have been destroyed, the lives, the dreams that have been shattered, and we think about just the, the, the political strife and conflict, not only within Ukraine, but in other nations as well. Bless you. There is a world where we want to see suffering end. And I think we need to work towards that. We need to do what we can to end that. In Philippians chapter 1, when Paul talks about suffering for Christ, we don't find a hint of him trying to get rid of his suffering. This is very interesting. He is, there is no hint of him trying to avoid suffering. On the contrary, what he does talk about is the immense joy, the overflowing joy in the midst of his suffering for Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in that area of my life. I want to experience joy in my journey. I want, if I should suffer for Christ, I want to experience what he experienced. And so today, that's what we're talking about today. So today we're going to do three takeaways, three things I want to share with you briefly that we learned from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. I'll put the verses up on the screen. Philippians 1, 12 through verse 30. But we're going to start with the very first section, which is 1, 12 through 18. So 12 through 18 says this. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters 
have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15. It is true. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I, what? Rejoice. Rejoice. And yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And we'll pause there for a moment. One of the first things that we see in this opening section, and we can go back to, to verse 12 there for a moment. One of the first things that we see in this opening section is most likely Paul's response to the question, Paul, how are you? Um, are you well? Uh, Paul, do you have everything that you need? Are you sick? Are you cold? Are you being mistreated? You know, Paul was not in a luxury hotel. Uh, Paul was in a Roman prison. And so the Philippians, when they sent a letter back to Paul, they're asking, Paul, how are you? Now, you have to understand this. When you ask Paul, how are you? It's like him, it's like you're asking, how is the gospel doing, Paul? How is your life in Christ, Paul? Because for Paul, his life is connected to the gospel. His life is connected to Jesus. So when you say, how are you doing? He doesn't talk about, well, I'm in prison, I'm in this and that. He's, oh, the gospel's doing, Paul, how are you doing? Oh, Jesus is doing, Paul, how are you doing? Oh, the God, the, the, he talks about the good news for Paul. His journey with Christ has become more precious to him than anything else. In fact, if you look, uh, I think I put some verses there from chapter 3 of, yeah, later on in Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ. This is his dream. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so how, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is his desire. Paul, how are you? I want to know Christ. Do you get a sense of that? So here's the focus for Paul. Here's the first point number one. Point number one is this, with suffering. Is that suffering for Christ. Suffering for Christ has a purpose. Suffering for Christ has a purpose. When Paul looks at his suffering, what did he see? What he sees is the gospel moving forward. He sees the gospel advancing. There's a few things that Paul mentions. The first thing he mentions, the gospel is, is actually moving forward. It's not going backwards, right? You think suffering is going gonna, is gonna to hurt the gospel. But Paul says what has actually happened, verses 12 and 13, let's look here once again. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, sisters, what has happened to me has actually done what? Served to advance the gospel. Paul's like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But God somehow has a purpose 
with my suffering. He says, all I know is this. Am I suffering? Yes. But is the gospel suffering? He says the gospel is advancing. The gospel is going forward. We could think that this would hinder the gospel, but, but suffering for Jesus, God is able to take a terrible situation and bring good out of it. Amen? I'm thankful that he doesn't do that when we suffer for him, but isn't that what he did on the cross? The most terrible suffering of all humanity was Jesus on the cross, but in Jesus' suffering, there was a purpose for you. There was a purpose for me, and that was our salvation. That was our forgiveness. So Paul says, I'm suffering, and there is suffering for Christ, but I know that God has a purpose, even though I don't see it, even though I don't necessarily experience it, God can work a purpose. The second thing he said here, that the church is being encouraged. As a result, it has become clear throughout the palace guard to everyone, I'm in chains for Christ, verses 14 and 15. Because of my chains, because of my suffering, the brothers and sisters, most of them, have become what? Confident, not dejected, daring all the more to proclaim the gospel. Wow. Another, another purpose that God had for the sufferings. That what God was doing in Paul and through Paul's sufferings, there was boldness, there was courage. Even those who were kind of struggling in their faith, they became stronger more daring. They opened their voices. They proclaimed the, they had newfound faith. They had new strength. They had new courage. They had new boldness. Oh my goodness. God was using suffering. A third thing here on this first point is that even in the midst of people who aren't preaching the gospel with entirely pure motives, Paul was, there were people that were preaching Obviously, they were preaching Jesus, but their motives were not right. In fact, it even says there, I'm not sure if I put the verses, did I put verses 15? Maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't put it on there. People were doing it to oppose Paul. They were jealous of Paul. They, people had a, a problem with Paul. They were making life difficult for Paul. And somehow these people with bad motives were still preaching Jesus. And Paul said, you know what? Even if you're opposing me, he said, I rejoice that Jesus is being preached. And there's, there's more we could talk about that. So God's even using bad preachers <laughs> with bad motives because God can use anything, any situation for his purposes in our suffering. So Paul, how's it going? Paul, are you okay? Paul's like me. I'm in prison. I'm suffering. But the gospel, it's advancing. And there's a purpose for this suffering. Point number two, I'm going to look at verses 18 through 26. I'll pick up at the very end of 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So he says, the whole first part was, I'm rejoicing because of this. And he says, now I will continue to rejoice. Oh, really, Paul? So why will you continue to rejoice? Let me tell you. And that's what he says here, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ 
What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Verse 22. If I'm, going, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. The second reason why Paul has joy in his suffering is this. There's suffering for Christ. Suffering for Christ has a limit. What, what do we mean here? Has a limit. Probably the first question that we ask in the midst of suffering after we've asked the why question, why is this happening to me? And Paul kind of answers that when he says that God has a purpose. The next question we ask is probably, okay, how long? <laughs> how long is this going to last? <laughs> is it a week? Is it two weeks? What, what's the expiration date? Do, do, you, do you go look at your food when you buy food from the grocery store? Do you, look, do you look at the expiration date? You've got two on here and this expires tomorrow and this expires next week. Which one do you buy? Well, the one for next week when it's food, right? Because you want it fresh. But if it were suffering, and it's like this suffering is going to end next week or next year. Which one do you, which one do you want? Next week, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we want it to end now. And so the question is, okay, so how long will it last? That's natural. We want it to end as soon as possible. But when you look at Paul and how he dealt with suffering for Christ, we see that he has a clear picture of his suffering. And he says, suffering has a limit. Suffering has a limit. First, Paul strongly believes that his deliverance from prison is on its way. And we read the verses there. He says, you're praying for me, church? He says, I believe I will soon be delivered. You know, Paul was in prison several times. And this imprisonment is not the one that will end his life. That comes later on. So Paul is right. He, 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 he believes he's going to be set free from prison because of the prayers of the church because of the help of the Holy Spirit working in his life, Paul will soon experience freedom. So he knows this is a moment of suffering. There's a time to this. The second thing is that even though Paul believes he will be freed, he has absolutely no illusion that things will turn out the way he likes. All right? He even says that uh, my only prayer is that Christ will be glorified, that Christ will be exalted, whether in my life 
or in my death. He's like, I'm going to be free, but you know what? I, have, I know things can change tomorrow. And I'm back in prison, and my life is, is taken from me. And Paul says this, that life is great, but in Christ, death, he says, is actually a game. Is even better. He says, verses 21 through 24, these powerful words, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is he saying? What does that mean? To live is Christ. Paul says that even just living each day in relationship with Jesus is full of life. Even with the suffering, knowing Jesus every morning when you wake up and when I wake up, to live is Christ. Having relationship with Him, even in our suffering, is to experience life in life more abundantly. But because Paul's life is hidden in Christ, and Paul says, well, if I die, it looks like it's, it's, I've lost, but in actuality, the restraints of my physical body are taken away, and I'm with Jesus even more. So he's saying, for me, life is great. Yes, I have suffering. But if I die, the suffering's over. I'm with Jesus. It's actually a gain. Do you see that suffering has its boundaries? Suffering can only touch us so far. When, when Satan tried to attack Job, what did God say to Job? You can do this, but only so far. You can do this, but only so far. You can do this, but only so far. You will not take his life. There is a limit to what suffering can do to us. But here's the good news. Suffering for Christ has a limit. But do you know what does not have a limit? Joy. Because if you go on to the next part of the verse, where he gets to the next part here, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your pro progress and joy in the faith. He says, we're going to move forward. He says, your faith is going to move forward, Philippians. It's going to be with joy. And when you see what God does in me, when I'm with you again, you're going to, this, this word boasting, it's, if you go to different versions, it, it says um, glory, uh, boasting, joy, rejoicing. Uh, the idea here is that uh, you will point to me, Paul says, and you will boast in what Jesus has done. And the idea is, it's your pride and joy. That's the idea, right? Uh, it's, we, our brother-in-law just uh, sold, he restored an old truck. And he just sold it, right, Sony? And he was so sad to sell that. He needed to for different reasons. Uh, he sold this old 1960 Ford F100, restored it, sold it, and he put so much of his heart into that. It was like his pride and joy. He would look at my truck, look at what all this. He would rejoice in his truck. He, he boasted, he gloried in it, for example. Well, when people would look at Paul, the flip and say, look at Paul. Look what Jesus has done in his life. They will be his pride and joy. In other words, it will abound. Overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. Suffering has a limit, but the joy that comes from knowing Jesus has no limits.
So suffering has a purpose. Suffering has a limit. And the third thing, the final thing, is suffering has a future. What do you mean by that? Suffering has a future. Well, let's read the final verses, 27 through 30. It says, whatever happens, whatever happens at this moment, if I die, if I live, if I'm free, whatever happens, Paul looks to the future. He says, conduct yourselves a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, we like that, right? But also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I, I had, and now here that I still have. So what's happening here? Paul invites the Philippians to look ahead to their future. And when he looks ahead to their future, what he sees is he, he prays to see a Philippian church holding on to the gospel. He prays to see them standing firm. He prays to see them becoming a source of joy for Paul. And as they hold on, in the face of opposition, in the face of fears, the secret will be the gospel. The secret will be the gospel. The second thing he points them to as they look ahead, look way ahead, and Paul looks beyond this life, he looks ahead to the final judgments. Did you, did you catch that? This is a sign to them, in verse 28, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. Paul is looking ahead to the final judgment when everything is going to be renewed. When the, what does the future hold for those who are experiencing suffering right now in Christ? Paul tells them the momentary sufferings. One day, God's going to bring all suffering to a close. One day, as they will experience the fullness of their salvation. But listen carefully, please. For those who are not in Christ, there is even greater suffering. There is destruction. There is lostness. There is separation. And God doesn't want anyone to experience that. You see, suffering has a future. Suffering has a future. For those that are in Christ, it comes to an end and there is a future of salvation and deliverance and, and, and in the presence of God. For those who are not in Christ, there may not be suffering now, but when that day comes, when sin is dealt with and there's judgment, there will be a future for suffering that will never, ever 
cease. For those that reject Christ, suffering, unfortunately, is eternal. Do you see how this perspective transforms our, our suffering? For the Christian, our suffering is momentary. And God's with us in the midst of it. For those that reject Christ, there is a suffering that we pray they never have to experience. We pray that they would come to know Jesus. This is why Paul could have joy. And so can we. Paul reminds them, and then the final thing that Paul reminds them about their future, I love this, as he reminds them, we can go back to the last verse, I think it's verse 30 there. Yeah, that one. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. You're going through a struggle. I'm going through a struggle. In other words, we are going through a struggle together. And I love this because Paul reminds them we're in this together. We are in this together. We're in this together in our sufferings, but we're in this together in our joy. The powerful word to the church in Philippi. For us to even consider that our suffering could have a purpose, a limit, or a future, it's very hard to see. Let's just be honest. Um, when you're in the midst of the suffering, it's very difficult. But for Paul, what enabled him to see all this is when he looked to Jesus. When he looked to Christ, suffering took on a whole new meaning. As he looked at the gospel, he said that there was a purpose in the suffering. God can turn it around. There's a, there's, a, there's a time limit. There's, there's a limit to their suffering that we go through. As we journey through this life, you know, we, have, we have decisions to make at every single turn, but the best decision we can make is to follow Jesus, looking to follow Jesus. And as we follow him each day, suffering may be a part of our journey. It was for Paul. It was for the Philippians. But the good news is, for those who are in Christ, as we walk together as his church, we have resources. We have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have the church. We have each other that enables us to experience something that wells up in our souls, a joy in the journey through suffering. So my question this morning is simply this. Is Jesus your everything? To live is Christ, to die is gain. If Jesus is your everything, then nothing, not even suffering, can take that away. And in the midst of suffering, we will have his presence and the knowledge that he is working. Just as we heard last week, he who began a good work in you will accomplish it into the day of Christ Jesus. Is he your everything? If he's not, ask him. Tell him, Jesus, be my everything. Be my everything. As we do that, we'll be like the church that 
Paul says, we're going to make progress in our faith. We're going to grow. We're going to advance. The gospel's going to advance. That's what we're praying for in our lives, to be a community where the gospel is at the center of everything that we do. We grow in our faith. We experience joy, overwhelming joy, even in the midst of our suffering. Is there joy in our journey? Absolutely. Is there joy in our suffering for Christ? Absolutely. So this morning, be encouraged. Be encouraged in your journey. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Wow. Lord, what, what do we say? But we want you to be our everything. Lord, this seems so foreign to us. We live in a culture, in a society, in a modern day where convenience and comfort is so much what we desire and look for. And Lord, it's not that we're against these things. We thank you for them, but, but none of these things can, can bear the weight of our souls. None of these things can bear the weight of our sin. And that's why, Lord, you suffered on the cross. You suffered so we would not have to suffer for our sin. Lord, even in the midst of our temporary suffering in this broken world, we have the hope and the joy that one day you will make all things new. Now, even now you're working things out for our good. Even now you can bring life in the midst of broken dreams and situations. And so, Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would speak life into each of our hearts, that you would speak hope where there seems to be no hope, strength where there is no strength to go on, that as we look to you, Lord Jesus, as we surrender our hearts to you and we say, Lord, be my everything today. Save me. Wash me, cleanse me, and Lord, help me to walk and grow in my faith. Help me to look to others, like as the Philippians looked to, Jesus, to, to Paul and saw, wow, and their faith grew. They were bold. They had new courage. Lord, would you do that in our hearts today? We're weak, but you're strong. We can't do it in ourselves, Lord, but you, if you're with us, if you will help us, there's nothing that we cannot do with your help. And later in this book, it's in that context where he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. For Paul, Jesus, you were his everything. And so we pray that for us, you would be our everything as well. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.